It's good to be back with you this morning. We're in Luke chapter 2, and we're looking at a very familiar story, and it's a story that it's really easy to gloss over. But there are some profound things taking place in this passage that we need to just pause and reflect on because, my friends, it it can enrich your faith, uh, give you the courage and the confidence that you need to continue on this uh, journey with uh, Christ. And so uh, it's my prayer that God speaks to each of our hearts this morning. We're going to look at the first seven verses of the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Three things I want to point out, or Luke is wanting to point out to us this morning that we need to know as believers in Christ. Um, And the first is this. Uh, Jesus' virgin birth is rooted in history. This is a historical fact. You know, when when we read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, um, not only is it a spiritual book, but it's written within the context of history. And so the things that you read about, the, the people and the places, uh, these are real, real places. And Jesus' birth takes place within this context here in chapter 2. Caesar Augustus is um, the emperor uh, of Rome at this time. Now, Caesar Augustus is the um, the great nephew of Julius Caesar. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the first emperor to be called Augustus. Um, the, 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 the Roman Senate... While uh, Caesar Augustus was in power, um, elected, um, stated that uh, Augustus was, what Augustus means is um, holy or revered. So this is the first Roman emperor who brings to this office the idea of Caesar being Lord, Caesar being worshipped. He was not a God-fearing man, obviously. That attention was brought to himself. Um, and, uh, you know, Caesar Augustus is, is known for um, the, uh, the stability and the enlargement of the Roman Empire. Very important person in history. Very important to the gospel. Okay? God is using uh, an even uh, evil Roman ruler to enlarge, to expand the empire to where there's roads being built, people can get 
travel to places more easily through the Roman Empire. God is providing a time for the gospel to begin to explode. All right. But the thing I want you to see, or Luke is pointing out to us in this passage of scripture, is that Jesus is in a historical reality. He was born during the time of Caesar Augustus. Uh, Quirinius was the Roman governor of uh, Syria. Uh, The Jewish people no longer had their own land. Uh, They were occupied by uh, the Romans. But uh, this was in a province which was uh, controlled by Syria. And so Quirinius answered to Caesar Augustus. Uh, another thing I want you to see in this passage of scripture is that um, the virgin birth itself is reality. You know, there's some liberal theologians today. There's some liberal pastors to, today who would say that the virgin birth isn't necessarily a, a, a top tier doctrine. I mean, that is something that can be questioned. It's not, it's not important to the legitimacy of Jesus. In fact, if you look at the virgin birth, they would say that it was, it was stolen. It was borrowed from Greek mythology because uh, there is a God in Greek mythology that was born of a virgin. And that's where this idea came from. This is why I know that that's not true. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, before Greek mythology ever came on the scene, Jesus' birth from a virgin was predicted, was prophesied. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this, that text was written uh, 1,500 years before Christ. The Messiah, the, the, the Redeemer, the one that would crush the head of the serpent was going to come from the seed of a woman. A man's not even mentioned. Then if you go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah prophesies that um, that uh, the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. Again, this is before mythology, Greek mythology came on the scene. These things were prophesied. So that's one reason why we know that the virgin birth is is legitimate. And also because the Bible says this, you know, in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Mary, uh, you are the favored one. And you are, as a virgin, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. You know, so if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, the Bible would be lying. Uh, Mary and Joseph would be lying because Mary said that she was uh, conceived as a virgin. And uh, had that not been true, you know, then Mary and Joseph would have been sleeping around. Uh, Jesus would have been born of illegitimate means, and he would just be one of us. And so these are reasons why we as Christians believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, virgin and these must be true because this, this lends itself to the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so that's a little bit about the history. Jesus' life is rooted in history. He is a reality. The second thing that Luke would have us see this morning is God is sovereign 
and providential. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks back about the sovereignty of God when when God was using King Herod. Here's this evil ruler over the, the Israeli people, and yet King Herod uh, is rebuilding the temple. In fact, he's enlarging, he's in expanding the temple. This is, this is this very magnificent building where the Jews can come and worship God. Now, Herod's, Herod's name is all over it. He wants people to see how great he is in having done this for the Jewish people. But God is using this evil man to reestablish, to to revamp the temple. And it's very important because in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says the Messiah is going to come on the scene and he's going to come into the temple. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see Mary and Joseph bringing baby Jesus into the temple. And a priest and prophetess see uh, who is before their very eyes in the temple. Scripture is being fulfilled. God is using Caesar Augustus to expand the Roman Empire so the gospel can get out um, in explosive ways after uh, Jesus ascends into heaven and the church expands. And so, and then here in this passage of scripture, Caesar Augustus decides that there needs to be a census taken. And the reason why he wants to have a census is because it's an opportunity to collect more taxes among the people. He wants the people counted because he wants to know how many potential soldiers are available um, for um, for the empire. And so what is coming from a perspective of greed and power, God is orchestrating to fulfill prophecy because where are Mary and Joseph at the moment? They're in Nazareth. How in the world is God going to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem? And they got to get to Bethlehem because that's where prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Micah chapter five, verse two, it's in your handout this morning. Uh, The prophet Micah says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. This God who has always been is going to to be born in the city of Bethlehem. How is he going to do it? Through a census. For you see, Joseph, his family, his line came from Bethlehem. And so all the men had to go back to where uh, their families originated. And so family coming from the lineage of David has to go to Bethlehem uh, to be reported his name recorded, and he comes with his betrothed wife. Church, God is orchestrating all these things. You know, we don't, he's not obvious on the scene here, but he's behind the scenes. And he is sovereign. He is providential. 
What does providential mean? Providential means that there is divine guidance and care being taken in all the details. In all the details. His care. His love. Think about this for a moment. Mary is in her ninth month of pregnancy when she hears that this census is to be taken. She has to leave in her ninth month of pregnancy and make the journey of a hundred miles to get to Bethlehem. That's not an easy journey, especially in her ninth month of pregnancy. Moms, you know what it's like to be in your ninth month of pregnancy. What does the doctor tell you in your ninth month of pregnancy? Can you go on vacation at that point? No, you got to stay in town, don't you? You got to be close to the phone. Some of you are snickering. You got a story back there, Valerie, you want to tell us? No. <laughs> Don't ride a donkey. That's probably good advice. Well, she probably rode a donkey, didn't she? And it worked because by the time she got to Bethlehem, she was ready to have that baby that night. But this is the providential, sovereign care of God. Uh, I'm not sure Mary was thinking that God was sovereign and providential at that moment. But he was. And he is. And my friend, your circumstance may not be as desperate as Mary's, but just understand, under, know that he is there for you. You can trust him. As we look at this passage of scripture, it is so easy to just race through it because we are so familiar with this story. But God, through his Holy Spirit this morning, is encouraging each of us to pause and know that he's over it all. And he's caring through all the details, even the ninth month of pregnancy, even Mary giving birth in a stable. It doesn't seem like it's very caring, but God is even in that detail. And God, through his Holy Spirit this morning, is just encouraging us, stop, reflect, and allow God to whisper to each of us, trust me, trust me. His fingerprints are all over our life. It's not obvious but if we'll just see God in this t- context, God encourages each of us. So see his sovereignty, see his providence. Another thing about his sovereignty. This was a very dark time in Jewish history. 
I mean, they didn't have any power. They didn't have any influence. They were oppressed by a wicked king. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire. Uh, this wasn't Israel's time. Now, if you go back a thousand years before when David was king and Solomon was king, that was David's time. I mean, that was Israel's time. That would have been a great time for Jesus to have come on the scene. But in God's sovereignty, he chose a very dark time in Israel's history. Are you in a dark time at the moment? What may be dark to you, my friend, is God's time to him. You know, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Can we bring that up on the the screen, Garrett? Got that? Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. God did this in a dark period of history. But was what was dark to the Jew was the fullness of time to God. Israel had no power. They had no influence. They weren't winning any gold medals at this time. They weren't on any podiums. No, this was the Romans' time. But in the stealth of the night... When nobody was looking, God brings forth his son, and he does something very profound. Very subtle, but very profound. Are you in a dark period? I know some of you are going through some very dark times right now. I've spoken to you this week. It may not be your time. But it is God's time. And God is always at work. And what may look like chaos to you, God has a plan. What was chaos to Mary and Joseph? Their only option was a stable. What looked like chaos to them was the absolute sovereignty and providence, divine guidance and care for them. See God at work in this text. See God at work in your life. And then the third thing I want to point out that uh, Luke wants to point out to us is the symbol of the manger. The symbol of the manger. Here, Imagine this. The God of the universe is beginning in a stable, in a filthy, filthy, wretched environment. A stable. Really? You're God. A stable? Why? My friends, it's profound. But before we get to that, let's just talk a little bit about that he's God. 
Jesus has his beginning here on earth. And some people say, well, you know, Jesus didn't exist before he was birthed by his his mother Mary. And the Bible has the opposite uh, teaching that God has Jesus has eternally existed with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in heaven. He has always been in existence. He didn't have his beginning at birth. That's where God then became man. He 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 clothed himself in flesh, but he was he was fully God. And that's what the Bible teaches. If you go to John chapter 1, verse 1, the apostle John knows this. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, the Bible says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the, uh, as the Son of God, full of grace and truth. Jesus has always been. He didn't become a person who then became God. That's what religion teaches. But that's a lie of the devil. The serpent in Genesis chapter 3 wanted to convince Eve that if you partake of this fruit, you could become like God. No. God became man and dwelt among us. This is the the incarnation. And this God, this God-man came forth, was birthed in a stable. Jesus is royalty. Luke paints this picture clearly in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, that he is from the line of David, that um, uh, he was going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. Jesus is royalty, and he's being birthed in a manger. Why? Well, two things I want to point out. Number one, royalty chose to enter our mess. Royalty is choosing to be birthed in a manger. The stable symbolizes the lowest level of society in which God chose to enter. Think about the stable for a moment. Can you think of anything lower in life? I mean, animals, animals had no rights whatsoever. They were a piece of property, and Jesus chooses to enter this world in a stable. This stable, my friend, symbolizes what Jesus' life is going to, to be like. He is coming and he's identifying with the ostracized, the poor, the humble, the destitute, the discarded where society has no room for any, any of them, that's who Jesus is coming to. That's where Jesus chooses to be born. God chooses to enter, and this, this beginning is going to symbolize his whole life, where Jesus is going to end his life on a cross where he's taking the filth of the world upon himself 
and dying in our place, dying the death that we deserved. The symbol, the, the, the stable symbolizes Jesus' entire life. Think of William and Kate. They're in England. Now, they're not expecting yet. But when they do, when, they, when, when a baby is, is going to come, where do you think that baby is going to be born? It's gonna, they're going to find that baby the finest hospital and the finest doctor and, and everything you can imagine is going to be at their fingertips. Here's Jesus, the God of the universe who chooses to be born in a stable. You wouldn't even anticipate William and Kate going to Mongo, Togo to be birthed in the hospital that uh, Susan Harris is going to be working in. And yet God chooses to enter a place that is even more despicable, dirtier than that. That's the God of the universe. This is symbolizing his entire life. But not only does it symbolize his entire life, but secondly, it tells us that Jesus came for all. Jesus came for for all. Had he been born in the finest hospital Jerusalem had to offer, you know, people could have said, well, he was coming for the elite, the well-off, the people of means. But no, Jesus was born in a stable, indicating that he's coming for all mankind, mankind, not just the poor, but the rich as well all have the availability of God's grace to their life. Jesus came for all. You know what that means, church? That this message that we hold on to isn't just for those of us, those who are like us. It's for all. God wants his church the body of Christ to be able to go to those who are poor, who are marginalized, who are always on the outside looking in, wondering what it's like to be on the inside. Jesus wants the church to go to them. This weekend, our youth group had the opportunity to go to uh, the Union Rescue Mission to feed the homeless. What a great, what a great ministry opportunity. And I haven't got to hear any of those testimonies, but Aria is in our service. And uh, Aria, I hear that you have a testimony for us. And uh, I'm just going to bring the microphone to you and tell us a little bit about what happened uh, over the weekend. Um, so we went to like Skid Row, L.A., basically. And there was a rescue mission there. And we really just helped prepare the food for the people, and then we got to serve it to them. 
So we basically just did that. And then we got to sleep on the roof of the place, which was kind of cool. So it was just really interesting to see all the poor people just, like, right down there on the street. And when you look up, you see all the riches of L.A. And it's just like, wow, there's all this amazing riches. And then there's just these poor people that have nothing to live except for a grocery cart full of whatever they have. And it's just really heartbreaking to see that. But it's good to help them. And, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Aria. That's where Jesus would be. I don't know if any of you drove on our church property this week and drove through the alleyway. We had a homeless gentleman uh, living in our alley for a few days. Um, there's an overgrown bush in the alley that kind of provides some shade. And he was laying underneath uh, that bush for three or four days, I was told. I, I just found out about it on, on um, I think it was Friday. And I stopped. I got out and uh, asked his name. His name's Chris. Maybe you'll see him walking around the communities, very dirty, um, very needy. But I learned his name and and uh, helped him out a little bit, got to know his story. Um, but I walked away knowing I didn't do enough. I had to leave town after my conversation with him and came back that night because uh, we were supposed to meet up early in the morning and help him get on a bus to to uh, Bakersfield where there's more resources for him. And, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't sleeping there that night. Um, you know, wish I could have taken him home and given him a shower, but my flesh was saying, and, and I'm just being honest with you guys, you know, I didn't want to bring somebody home that dirty. Isn't that awful of me? I don't know how what your reaction is when when you see a homeless person. You try to make a wide detour and uh, pretend like you haven't seen them. Jesus went straight to those people, and he got to know them. His name is Chris. If you see him, help him. Jesus is attracted to people like that. Jesus wants his church, the body of Christ, to be there for people like that in our community. That's hard. That's hard ministry. But that's where Jesus would be. You know, a couple years ago at Be the Church, we went over to the La Mirage area, and there's this one area that uh, just... A lot of blight, windows are broken and everything. And we helped another church in town who was trying to acquire the property. Well, that's that's fallen through. I don't know what's happened with that. But um, talking to Pastor Hector, our Hispanic church, they really want to have a presence in, in the La Mirage area. And, um, and that property is still there. It's still vacant. And... And uh, we need to have a presence there, church. 
And I don't know what it's going to require, but uh, as I be, I'm at, as I'm casting vision in September, you're going to hear more about this. But that's where the church needs to be. We can't just be ministering to people who can scratch our back too, that can help us out. We got to be ministering to people who can't pay us back. That's who Jesus said to invite to the party. The outcast, the marginalized, the blind. The people who aren't on the in crowd. That's Jesus. And that's the message of the stable. Jesus entered the lowest level of life. to say to us all that he is there for all of us, not just the elite. So here's the takeaway. Number one, Jesus is real. He was born into history. He's not a figment of our imagination. We didn't borrow him from Greek mythology. No, Jesus was born of a, of a virgin. And the people that we read about in history, he was born, he was rooted in history. He is real. God is providential. God is sovereign. And even at nine months, making that trek to Bethlehem and giving birth that very night after that long journey in a stable, God was absolutely in control. And I don't think your circumstances are quite as dire as Mary and Joseph's were. But God is sovereignly in control of your circumstances as well. And Jesus' birth in that stable was a message to all of us to be the body of Christ, the presence of Jesus to those who need him most. I want to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of pastor who still falls short. But may I not be repulsed by people who are different from me, but may I make a beeline to them and get to know their name listen to their story and be a blessing. Be the hope that Jesus wants to be to them. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? Can you just trust him? He's whispering to you. Trust me through this text. God, I pray that you would make yourself real to each of us. And that Jesus, as we leave this place, that we would emulate you. We will not become God. There's only one God. 
Jesus, you tell us to emulate you, to pick up your cross. May we do so as individuals. May we do so collectively as the body of Christ and be Jesus in this community. Thank you for the hope that only you can bring. God, may this text encourage our faith, encourage us on the journey with you. Father, we love you. We praise you. Be with this offering. God, may it use to be, to glorify you. God, help us to spread this good news of the gospel, not just around the world, but next door to our neighbor and things like the shoe-in ministry that's coming up. Father, give us the names of those little ones that we can bless. Because, God, you have so richly blessed us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.